Hello, this is Arlene, and I'm calling from Minnesota. I have a couple of probably simple questions, but I've always been curious if it's still necessary to warm up a car on a cold winter day, let's say below zero. And does that depend on whether it's the make of the car or if it's a diesel car? Uh, but any information on that I would be interested in. And also if it's a good idea to start out driving slowly on these cold winter days. Thank you. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 87. Will the GOP succeed in their blatant attempts to overthrow democracy? Who knows? If not this time, maybe next time. At least they'll succeed in making for a disastrous transition that will penalize the country as hard as possible. Will ski areas operate throughout our raging pandemic? Seems like yes, for now. But would you bet on it? I don't know. Our reality is quite unpleasant at the moment. The internet has broken the species and the consequences of living in an algorithmically optimized disinformation nation are at hand. Try to have a good time. Nearly everything I predicted in May is occurring and there's no value or shelf life in overanalyzing this winter's difficult reality while everyone's just trying to weather the storm. So if we ain't talking COVID and we ain't talking ski areas that are trying to survive COVID, and we're gonna ignore the attempted overthrow of democracy currently underway, then what's the plan? Wintry Mix Car Talk 2020. The return of Paul McCarthy, our backcountry skiing mechanic from Burlington, and a bunch of your car-related questions. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast for my strange front-range foothill low-country skiing pursuits, episode announcements, questionable parenting, and COVID ski season analysis slash jokes, there's also a podcast voicemail, call 802-560-5003 and ask a question, drop a rant, or just share your truth. Thanks to all of you who called in with your car questions. My email is alex at wintrymixcast.com if you want to say hello. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are the best, and I'm not going to bribe you with gear to leave them. Just do it because you appreciate editing and a ski podcast that isn't mostly pro-talk. 250 or so of you have done your job. The rest of you, you'll just be one day older when you do. A quick glance into the archive features episode 84, live from Powderhorn on the Western Slope, episode 59, which was the original Car Talk, 81, which was a trivia episode live from SIA, and a deep cut is 41 with the guy who previously ran Steamboat. Scroll it deep and stand by for the goods. This episode of Wintry Mix is supported by the Ten Barrel Brewing Company and Bojo's Colorado Style Pizza. Commerce is a little funky right now, but you can still buy beer. Grab some Ten Barrel, the new Nature Calls IPA perhaps, or the soon-to-drop Pray for Snow Winter Seasonal. 
A portion of proceeds support the Conservation Alliance and protect our winters. Also, the pubs are open for all sorts of to-go eats and dine-in options, depending on local regulations. Help keep the people employed. They're rocking in Boise, Denver, Bend, Portland, and San Diego. And until then, find 10 Barrel in a refrigerated section near you. Or find me and I'll give you one in the wild. Just stay six feet away from me. Hi, I'm Allie Bear. <laughs> so we opened uh, April 1st, 1973. Well, in other words, Dad bought it and opened it then. Um, he bought it from a couple named Bo and Joanne, hence our name Bojos. He had a little car. I can't remember what kind of car it was, but it was just a two-seater. And he'd drive all the way down to Denver, fill it up with 50-pound bags of flour, you know, as full as he could get it, and drive all the way back up and unload it. And that was... That was his food service. I mean, he did it all, and, you know, if you're not working 80 hours a week, you're not working. <laughs> Thank you, Allie. Visit Bojo's locations in Idaho Springs, Arvada, Evergreen, Longmont, Fort Collins, and Steamboat. How many episodes ago was it? 27-ish? You have a better memory for that kind of stuff than I do, bud. 26, 27-ish episodes ago, we had Paul McCarthy, um, our pod listener slash mechanic slash backcountry skier guy from Burlington on the pod. Episode 59, now we're at 87, and I'm finally doing a Zoom episode. I've been... been holding against it ever since the quick pods, but Paul, you've, you've made it worth it. I've broken the streak. I am the guy. Little of this. Yeah, oh. baby. That sounded too good. Little of that. Yeah. I, I don't have, I already popped mine. I'm ahead of you by maybe two, but I don't know how your night's been. It's earlier there than it is for me. That is true. Um, Sunday evening, we're recording this on November 15th. Try to get it out this week. So to recap, Car Talk, everybody knows what Car Talk is because of Click and Clack. Uh, This is the Wintry Mix version. Paul helps us out because he knows a lot more about cars than the rest of us. Uh, Looks like I've got nine questions, and I've got one more in my head from listeners from the month of October. We're going to go through them. I went skiing today. Paul did not go skiing today. I hate you. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's pure jealousy. It's, it, my time will come. Whenever I've got it good, you're in the dumps. But then when you've got it good, I'm in the dumps. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's a little bit of your leftovers, but, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be, a, it'll be an interesting season. But we're not here to talk about that today. It is time for Car Talk. Let's get started so we can all uh, get ourselves to the trailhead or the ski mountain uh, successfully this winter. We got somebody named Paul. We got Mary. We got Justin. We got Jake. We got Graham. We got Carlton. We got Barbara. We got Arlene. We got one for me. What do you want to start with? I don't really care. Mm, we'll stick on the East Coast. Maybe uh, Carlton from Mass, it looks like. All right, start with Carlton. Go ahead and let's play that for yourself, and we'll play it for the audience, and then we'll get back on the other side. Hi, Alex. This is Carlton from Massachusetts. Um, I've got a question for your car talk episode. I'm wondering when it comes to all-wheel drive, is there any real difference between how all-wheel drive is implemented on a Subaru versus a Ford versus a BMW? 
Um, that's my question. Thank you very much. Like a BMW with their all-wheel drive system and like a 2008 Outback all-wheel drive system. I mean, but are they, if you strip away the bells and whistles, are they kind of the same? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Um, you know, internally to transmission, um, there's friction discs inside of uh, transfer cases or center differentials or rear differentials. Um, but, uh, you know, all technology is going to be a little bit different between manufacturers. But when you get down to just the basics of it, it's all generally the same. Uh, it's basically kind of up to the driver to, you know, test out what they feel is, you know, works for them the best and what they like to, uh, what responds best to them. Well, on that note, since this is an all-wheel drive question, my question that I actually sent in to myself, because I'm weird, is kind of <laughs> about this sort of thing. So why don't you just grab mine next? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I guess I'm going to call into the voicemail myself. This is Alex Kaufman from Golden, Colorado. And, Paul, uh, the new minivan has run flats. Uh, so there's no spare. Uh, but if I want to get snow tires, i got to buy four run flats. Or do I? They're $289 a piece. I don't know what to do. Help me. All right, yeah. Um, run flats. Yeah, that's um, basically just uh, a technology that's built into a tire. Um, you know, a lot of manufacturers these days are getting away from any sort of spare tire to save in weight, which equates to fuel economy. You know, it kind of sucks, in my opinion. It's, uh, a, you know, uh, all great with trying to save uh, a little, you know, a quarter of a mile per gallon if, you know, it's probably even less than that. But um, I would much rather have a full-size spare. Um, and or any spare. I have no spare. spare. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I had a customer one time come into my shop you know, with a tire that we couldn't fix, the customer was stranded then. It was like totally ridiculous. You know, I would advise you to buy a full-size spare just on a crappy steel wheel that you get from the junkyard. And then you don't have to have run-flat tires. Then you just have a full-size spare in general. And you should be able to finagle something in the back. I know you probably have a lot of gear with all the kids and stuff. But um, no, you don't have to get run-flat tires again if you do get a full-size spare. Well, I, I kind of ended up in this scenario in reverse. So it was, I decided we were going to get a damn minivan, okay? At first, I had embraced the minivan because we had rented them whenever we'd gone on trips and with the two kids and, and everything else. And it was like, okay, well, the only one that's all-wheel drive that's a traditional minivan is the Sienna. And the Sienna comes with no spare. You just can't get one. And that's how they're sold. So it's either you're using the goo, which everybody says is terrible. Terrible. Um, or my neighbor has a Sienna and he drives around with a full-size spare on his fucking roof. Yeah. Like you know, like, okay. And, and, and yeah, doesn't run, probably doesn't guy. run, <laughs> probably doesn't run, run flats. And so fast forward from when I recorded that question a week or two ago to now, I looked at, okay, 600 bucks for new snows or a thousand bucks for new run flats was kind of 
what it was going to boil down to. Yeah. Um, and if I got the new snows, then I'd have to like, okay, do I carry a full size spare? Do I not? Um, I ended up just buying the damn run flats in the end because they said that the run flats they sell the car with only get about 10,000 miles. They wear out super fast, but that replacement run flats, like these snows I'm buying are more traditional length of tire, 30,000, 40,000 miles. I'm like, all right, well, that's better. Maybe that's yeah. true. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. All right. Why don't you, uh, let's go to Justin in Salt Lake city. Let's check him out. Hey, this is Justin from Salt Lake city. Uh, just a quick question. Um, I'm thinking about buying a car that's uh, related to the Dieselgate scandal of 2015 Passat diesel. Uh, what's the thoughts on that? Is it worth it? Or am I produ producing too much NOx emissions still? Is the fix actually worth it? Or what's, what's the deal with that? Just uh, let me know. Thanks. Dieselgate. Oh, man, I remember that. That was like, uh, I wish we were back in Dieselgate from all the ridiculous news we have these days. <laughs> yeah, the simpler times. <laughs> simpler times <laughs> when we were worried about the environment. So, you know, the reason why you hear diesel trucks just run constantly, especially in the wintertime, is they have a harder time starting uh, in the winter and just in colder temperatures in general. So um, one thing, especially if Justin uh, lives, well, he lives in Salt Lake City, and I assume he likes to ski, and, um, you know, getting an engine block heater uh, would definitely help out with some uh, potential cold start problems um you know uh, the whole diesel gate thing was you know rocked the car world um but you're going to be producing emissions no matter what is it cleaner than gasoline you know i honestly just think they're both it, probably just as bad environmental wise you know they should have fixed it with the so a software upgrade because the whole not to get super deep into it, um, basically when you plugged in any sort of device to the computer of the car, it would change the engine mapping and, um, you know, kind of just trick any emissions testing component into thinking that the car was running better or cleaner than it actually is. Um, you know, diesels uh, are a matter of preference. Um, I do know that diesel engines tend to just run a lot longer just because um you know the nature of diesel motors versus gasoline motors um you know that's why you see especially um german cars really love the diesels um you know them with three four five hundred thousand miles on them with all original or with the original motor just because they just last so much longer the cost of maintenance is a lot different. I don't really work on many diesels. It just didn't, it's not something that caught on in America. You know, there's definitely pros and cons to it. And then another thing to look at too is like, like gas stations around your area. You know, a lot of gas stations um, don't have diesel, you know, so just make sure that, you know, where you go and, you know, in Salt Lake City, I'm sure if you're like in the city, but if you like to get out in the boons, um, you know, and you run out of gas, there may not be a diesel fill up spot for you. I mean, maybe you can get a discount if like <laughs> facades from that time frame are suspect. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just not a fan of uh, German cars in general, just because, you know, um, they're over-engineered, in my opinion. Um, oh, man, that's a that's a broad statement. So that's, what is that? That's Volkswagen, that's Volkswagen, Audi, BMW, that's Mercedes, that's yep, BMW. Yep, that's a lot yep. of cars. Honestly, it's, I don't know why. You just picked a why. team. You just, I mean, you just said, oh, yeah. I don't like German cars. Well, yeah. There's just the amount of special tools usually needed or just different tools uh, needed is, you know, just an added, added expense for me because I have to buy all my tools. Um, not to say that they're, especially BMWs are super nice to drive. Um, I enjoy driving them. They're, you know, they feel like a car. Um, what, what type of car rolls in that you're supposed to work on that you just get the most pissed off that you have to work on it? Uh, BMWs, really. I mean, I just had my, I had a, I, I'm a little uh, post-mortem right now with a, a car that just really kicked my ass like two weeks ago. It was a BMW and I, I have dream, I literally had a bad dream about it over the weekend <laughs> after I finished it. Like, oh man, it, it was very traumatic. What was, was wrong traumatic. with it? Oh man, it was, oh, so it was an older BMW. Um, I think it was like an, an 04 330 XI that it needed some work for Vermont State Inspection and it was rusty and I just got to take apart too much to do something really simple like a right. wheel bearing. And then it just takes me, you know, just takes way longer and then just overly complicated. That's why I'm, I'll say I, I'm a fan of Japanese cars. Japanese cars are cheap, simple. Um, I will say that they do, uh, you know, they do rust, but, you know, every car rusts. Um, yeah, where you are. I don't have rust anymore. I have two different cars. <laughs> as soon as I got That's out true. here from Vermont, I immediately got off the cars that I had. Because I was like, you, you know saw, what? Yes. This you should have just left them here. Be, <laughs> offload them ASAP and get some cars with no rust. <laughs> yes, All right, so we, yeah, we have yeah. one other person who's asking about diesel. Um, let's punt him for later so it's not too much diesel right at the start. Uh, go ahead and pick which one you want next. Okay. Um, just so I don't get confused, we'll do Arlene from Minnesota. Do it. Hello, this is Arlene, and I'm calling from Minnesota. I have a couple of probably simple questions, but I've always been curious if it's still necessary to warm up a car on a cold winter day, let's say below zero. And does that depend on whether it's the make of the car or if it's a diesel car? Uh, but any information on that I would be interested in. And also if it's a good idea to start out driving slowly on these cold winter days. Thank you. What do you think about Arlene's question? Yeah, so I mean that is another great debate. I personally warm up my cars, uh, especially on super cold mornings. Um, I also like to have my heat just to have my heated seats all nice and toasty. Right? To is it in. for the car or is it for you? <laughs> but um, I mean, honestly, it's a little bit of both. I mean, you have to think about you know, a car runs at uh, around two hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Um, at its most efficient um, and say you, uh, you know, start your car, it's, you know, even 10 degrees in the morning, it's going to take a little while for your car to warm up. Um, and then that also changes viscosities of fluids. 
um, and uh, tolerances because, you know, metal is going to be contracted from the cold. You know, you don't have to let your car warm up for, you know, a half an hour or 20 minutes even. But, you know, if you have the time, um, you know, let it run for five minutes and, you know, then start going. That said, you know, uh, newer cars are designed a lot different. So, um, you know, different cars will warm up faster. You know, if you have an older car, I would definitely suggest to, you know, uh, heat it or warm it up for a couple of minutes before start driving. Newer cars are designed a little bit better to deal with that kind of stuff. When you start when it's cold, the RPMs jump up to like 2000 right away. That's to warm up the catalyst system and the emission system, and it just warms up the car real fast because um, they designed it to uh, run at its optimum efficiency as fast as possible. Kind of made the whole warming up your car, you know, just happen automatically. You don't even notice it. So older cars warming up makes more sense. Newer cars, to be determined, kind of depends on the car probably. What about yeah, the thing? What about the thing that we've all done, which is intentionally drive it at a really high RPM for a little while? I mean, how stupid yeah, my, is that idea that we've all done? I mean, if your engine is, you know, if it's super cold outside and you just started your car, yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest, but I mean, sometimes I do that honestly just to warm it up a little faster. Um, if I'm not driving, but if I'm like driving, I'm not. I'm gonna baby it while it's cold. Um, and then also like, you know, I talked about a little bit about the diesel starting with the other question in the winter time, but I mean, you know, engine block heaters is kind of an old school. What is an engine block heater? Uh, so an engine block heater is basically just, um, you plug into a regular house outlet. There's a little heating element that goes inside of a, a plug. Oh my um, God. Okay. My neighbor of, has one of these and I never knew what it was. He's, he's plugs in his car with a regular orange extension cord. And I'm always like, yep. what the hell is that? Yeah. So, I mean, diesel, like you see that a lot on diesel trucks and like just diesels in general, but you can get them for gasoline cars too. And, you know, if you can use it, do it. And they even have battery warmers too. So you can kind of plug them both in at the same time because when it's cold outside, the battery is going to have a harder time starting. So, you know, um, it kind of it negates the purpose of, uh, you know, uh, warming up your car in the morning. And then you get heat right away too because it warms up your engine and your cooling system. So you'll get heat faster and you're, you know, then when you start your car to scrape off all the ice, it will have heat right away. Um, so it'll warm up the windshield and you can scrape all that rime off. Not bad. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of cold weather, let's check, let's do, do the barb uh, batteries question. Hi, this is uh, Barbara from Pennsylvania. And uh, I drive a 2008 Subaru Outback. So I've gone through quite a few batteries in it. And my question is about my battery. Um, the winters don't get that brutally cold here in Pennsylvania, but it seems every few years when the weather gets colder, I go to start my car and my battery's dead. So I do have a couple questions about this. Is there something, is there any forewarning signs that my battery might be going dead so it doesn't catch me so by surprise? And then, are there any things I can do as far as preventative maintenance, you know, 
things I can do myself maybe every few weeks or months to either make my battery last longer um, or just make it run better. And thirdly, um, are, do you have any recommendations about if I do have a dead battery, what kind of new battery um, should I get? Any recommendations on the type? Um, uh, I would greatly appreciate any information you have about this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Barb's got battery problems. Yeah, a little bit to unpack there. I mean, she has something else going on. She's just going through batteries all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, um, there could be some sort of, like, a parasitic draw. Um, so that means there's something, say, a computer system that could be not turning off when it uh, wants to uh, or when it's supposed to, and it's creating a draw on the battery. Um, you know, cold weather, honestly, has the biggest effect on, you know, battery life. So if you live in a colder environment, I would expect to, um, you know, go through batteries a little bit more. Um, it also depends on if, you know, cars, garage kept and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, these days, battery technology is so good, especially regular car batteries. Um, you know, I would be suspicious on if there's something else going on, if you're going through batteries at a little more uh, rapid pace than what's normal. I mean, most, a lot of batteries have warranties five or eight years long. So, you know, if you do, if you are going through batteries, um, you know, look into a warranty for your battery, cause you might be able to get a free one. Um, especially if you buy a, a better brand. Yeah. My sense is there, it's not a battery problem. It's the car or it's yeah, Some, I mean, she, she's got a dome light. She just really likes to leave her dome light on. I mean, I don't yeah. know what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, so, and then also, the, uh, you know, the battery, you know, batteries are obviously designed to hold a charge, but, um, you know, they really only hold the charge for so long. And kind of like your phone battery, if you let your, if you're, say, your car sits, you know, you only drive your car, you know, especially now with COVID, actually, this is a big, pro has been a bigger problem because people aren't driving as much when your car isn't running the alternator is not charging the battery and the battery for it to you know work as it is designed it's designed to you know start the car and then get charged immediately by the alternator so if you let your car sit you know especially outside in the cold or just in general if your car sits a lot and you don't drive it a significant amount um, the battery's not going to charge up, which could lead to some premature battery failure as well. Is there a word, though, that Barb should say if she wanted to figure out, is my car bleeding my battery because something's wrong with my car, when she went to a, a car service place, what should she say to describe her problem so they understand it? Or like, so, uh, so, so, so they do the right diagnostic or whatever? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, obviously state your problem, um, go to the shop with, um, knowledge of when you purchase that battery, because that can help out a lot. They're going to perform, you know, they're going to perform a, like a battery test and alternator test. Um, but they should also be performing a parasitic draw test. That's what I mean. Um, it's like, how do you, yeah. how, how do you, what is, I've never heard the phrase parasitic draw, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it's basically just like 
uh, you know, so there's always going to be some parasitic draw, or there's always going to be a little bit of a, a, you know, something's awake a little bit. You know, the computer yeah. needs to keep the clock. Memory. Yeah, the clock, the memory. <laughs> well, and then with the emissions, you know, there's so many, there's so many other little systems that the computer needs to remember. The it's your ski boot. It's your ski boot heaters, Barb. You got to unplug your <laughs> ski boot heaters. Yeah, I think Barb sounds like the kind of lady that would like some ski boot heaters. Maybe. I mean, she's like, she's in Pennsylvania. It's, I don't know, it doesn't sound that cold. It sounds medium cold. There's something going on there. Your battery shouldn't just be going that quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Parasitic draw. I think that, I think you've nailed it, Paul. Um, all right, what do we got here? Um, we've done Justin in Salt Lake City. We've done Barb. We've done Arlene. We've done Carlton. We've got Graham, we've got Jake, we've got Mary, we've got another Paul. Take your pick. Yes, yeah, so uh, let's uh, go Graham. Do it. Graham's got a lot to say. (laughs) Hey, what's going on? My name's Graham Davis from Virginia. Um, Calling in, got a hot tip on uh, some car content, helping the pod. Uh, Shout out my buddy Paul McCarthy. Best mechanic. I know you Vermonters uh, love your Subies out there and 35 mile an hour speed limit. Can't hate. Had no five uh, WRX hatch myself. Anyways, for the love of speed, if you were given these three options, which one would you take? Would you rather have a Formula Drift, early 90s RX-7, triple rotor, you know, real nice street car, but awesome drift car. Or would you be more of a street roll racer, maybe a late 90s Supra 2J with a fat turbo on it? And lastly, my favorite, a street drag car, maybe with a 427, 88-millimeter turbo, four-inch exhaust, doing sevens in the quarter mile. Shout out my boy, Cletus McFarland. But if you had to choose... The need for speed, what direction would you go in? Thanks. Have a good one. Okay, I don't know anything of what that guy just said. Maybe you have some clue. I mean, we don't need to get into this very deeply, but just help us understand what was just described. I mean, that's a classic goon language. Goons, you know, you know, goon, hot doggers, uh, ridiculous people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, Graham's a good dude. Um, you know, if I had to pick, I go. Uh, I, I'm a road racing kind of guy. I used to do a little bit of uh, racing in the uh, Sports Car Club of America (SCCA). You know, I respect fast and loose of drift life, and then uh, what the fuck know, is drift life, dude? Come oh, on! Oh man, come on! You know what drift life is? Just Ken Block, Hoonigans. Get out of town, Travis Pastrana. Don't act like. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I'm just a guy with a minivan. Come on, Paul. I know. I know. Well, you got to expand your horizons. Yeah. Bud. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'm a road. I, I like uh, cars handling. I don't need to be the fastest in the quarter mile. All right. Pause, 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 pause. Have pause. you ever drag raced in Vermont? In Vermont? No. Have you ever drag raced? Yeah, yeah, in Pennsylvania a little bit. 
what happens immediately afterward? Absolutely nothing. You usually you're uh, all sad because you didn't break ten seconds or whatever it is, and <laughs> it's just okay. not my style of racing. You know, it's just, you know, it's cool, and you know. Uh, how I, many? I would... How many? Okay, hold on. No, so this is just the audience here doesn't have familiarity with this, so we're we're, yeah. we're going there. So, okay. um, how many people were watching at the time? Oh man, it was a whole stadium. So there was, um, I used to go to this car show called um, Waterfest as in Jersey. Um, it was a European car show. I know I had just said I hate European you cars, hate but you know, uh, it, it comes from somewhere and it's my first couple cars, especially one, but um, what was this drag strip called? Totally forget. It's okay, it's okay. We're gonna keep the, the, the rapid fire going. What's the first car you ever crashed? Uh, my Ford Explorer. I was drifting. <laughs> You're not supposed to drift something that tall. And my Ford Explorer, dude. That thing was the best. It was a 1997 Ford Explorer. It was all-wheel drive. It had a five-liter V8, you know, um, same motor. That's kind of in the Mustang. All-wheel drive Ford Explorer? What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, okay. I, I wish I could buy one again, but they're all rotted out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first car I ever wrecked was a Volkswagen Scirocco. Oh, man, Scirocco. That, yeah, I had a Corrado, bud. I had an 84 Scirocco as my first car, and I wrecked it. Actually, about... 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now in Colorado when I was 16. <laughs> this is when I lived in Colorado when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I wrecked a Scirocco in, in uh, Clear Creek Canyon on Route 6. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, drifting, I was drifting in the snow. We, me, actually, me and Graham Davis um, were just – it had just snowed, and we were towing each other, and a couple of other friends were towing each other through the neighborhood, um, you know, surf, surf, or snowboarding on the back. Yeah. Like, um, and, uh, did that for hours and hours. No, nothing bad happened. And I was driving on the way home. There's just like one last corner right before my house. I was like, I'm going for it. And just went in a little too hot, no snow tires, of course. And, uh, just slammed right into the curb and, uh, yeah, did some, uh, significant damage. <laughs> All right. Sounds like you and Graham got into some trouble. What else we got here? We've had Carlton. We've had Barb. We've had Arlene. We've had Graham. We still have Jake Diesel. Oh, secondary question about studded snows. We've got Mary Wisconsin asking about her oil change regularity. And we've got Paul in Pennsylvania about his fluids. Uh, let's just keep going down the line. We'll do uh, Jake... Uh from State Farm there. Do it. Hey, Wintrue Mix. My name's Jake Magnin, currently living in uh, Eastern Long Island, New York, previously from Burlington, Vermont. Got two uh, questions for uh, this upcoming Car Talk episode. Uh, number one, does a diesel engine or a diesel truck or car perform any better or worse in cold weather? And two, are studded snow tires actually worse the cost and the hassle for performance in the snow. That's it. Appreciate the pod. Thanks. Bye. Simple stuff. Diesel good in the cold, yes or no? Studded snow's worth it, yes or no? Um, diesel worth it. I mean, diesel's a little bit uh, 
is a little harder to start in the colder weather. Um, but you know, especially newer cars these days, uh, you know, they design cars around that. Um, I'd be a little more worried about an older truck, um, starting in the colder weather versus a newer car that, um, you know, starting in the colder weather, um, you know, pros and cons there, there really isn't too many. Um, it's kind of dealer's choice on that. As for studded snow tires, you know, studded snow tires uh, are super helpful depending on where you live and what kind of driving you do. Um, you know, I tell people, people ask me all the time about uh, what kind of tire or snow tires they want and studs versus non-studs. And my first question is, um, where do you live and where do you work? And, you know, what's your day-to-day -day commute like? Are you going through back roads, mountain passes? Do you have to get to work when it snows or when it ices out? Um, there's like absolutely no questions about you not going to work when it snows. You know, if you answer yes to any of those kind of questions, you know, studded snow tires are definitely the way to go. They're gonna see, they're gonna affect gas mileage a lot, and actually in wet road conditions. Um, they perform a little bit worse because they don't let the rubber meet the road as much. So if it's, you know, if there's uh, a puddle, you can uh, actually hydroplane a little bit easier. It depends on your day to day. Back roads, snowy days, if you have to get to the mountain on a powder day and you live on a back dirt road, get the studs. We're going to have our first significant disagreement here, Paul. Um, I am north of 40 years old. I have had many cars and I have always had to get to powder days or get to work because it was at a ski area or whatever. And you know what's always just fucking fine? Snow tires. If I needed another job right now, selling snow tires could be it. They're great. Just buy snow tires. Studs are for people who just like, you know, good enough isn't good enough. And you got good snow tires on a good car and you're not an idiot, you're going to be fantastic. I just drove to 11,000 almost feet today in a minivan and I, with my all-wheel drive and I was just like a puma. Like I could do anything. I didn't need studs. My God, you people in your studded snow tires are wasting my time. You're wasting your time and you look like an idiot in May when you're still driving them around. Hey, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You sound like an idiot. And then we look at you. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Just have that, some fucking snow tires. People are talking about their studs while they're driving around with their all seasons. Get some yeah. goddamn snow tires on Craigslist yeah. or on the internet or on at a fucking dealer near you, and you'll be great. Just the studs overkill, my opinion. A little bit, a little bit overkill, a little bit. I mean, I think the real question, I think what it all boils down to is don't be an idiot while you're driving. Uh, 10, 10, four. Now we have got a couple left, a couple more left. And then I've got one more in my pocket at the finish um, for my neighbor. Cause my neighbor had a car problem. All right. We'll do uh, Mary from Wisconsin. Hello, this is Mary from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Um, generally um, I replace the synthetic oil in my car every five to 6,000 miles. But since COVID has uh, come upon us, um, I haven't been putting many miles on my car, and I have not done an oil change in nine months. Um, 
I'm wondering if this is not good for the car. Does the oil get thick? And when it isn't being replaced, um, so is it based on the miles, or should I consider how much time in between uh, oil changes? Thank you. Bye now. Good question. Well, with COVID, people are driving less. Um, should they stretch out their oil changes, or is which is more important, time or miles? You know, miles is way more important. Time does have a, a significant factor. Hold on, beer delivery. Sorry, pause. Important things. Yes, thanks to 10 Barrel. Ah, okay, good. sorry, continue. Um, you were saying time, uh, but miles more important than time, but time's still important. Miles is the most significant thing. And if you run um, synthetic oil, it doesn't break down like conventional oil used to. And, uh, you know, you can go longer in between oil changes. Um, but I would still say at least once a year, if you don't get to that five or 6,000 mile marker on your sticker or the little light on your dash that, that screams at you to change your oil in a year, I would do that. Synthetic oils don't break down like conventional oils. So uh, you, you'd still be pretty safe and you're not going to do any significant damage to your engine, but you know, just to be safe, um, you know, once a year to spend $60 on an oil change is the way to go versus, you know, blowing your motor. All right. Minimum 12 months. If you want to stretch it to a year, stretch it to a year, but don't stretch it to four. Exactly. Got it. All right. That was Mary. What do we got? We got Pennsylvania, a Paul from Pennsylvania and his fluids. We have any left on that list? Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. Let's talk about the fluids. Go Paul. Hi, my name is Paul and I live in Pennsylvania for the, uh, Entry mix auto or car uh, podcast. I haven't, you know, heard one in a while. I'd like to get some information. Uh, I typically keep my, you know, cars. I like to buy a quality one, new or almost, and uh, keep them for, you know, upwards of 10, sometimes even, you know, 12, one more years. I'd like to get some of the, you know, information or uh, thoughts about manufactured recommendations for uh, replacing, you know, transmission, fluids, differential, you know, flushing the brake lines, power steering lines, radiator, obviously uh, tire rotations, alignments, brakes, pads, and whatnot should be uh, replaced when they need to be. And then also things like spark plugs, you know, timing belts or chains and stuff like that is it just a um you know is, is it good to do or just kind of maybe you know wait a while is it just you know something that they can make more money on so uh thanks a lot keep up the good work talk to you later bye this guy's serious about his cars very serious very serious um you know, manufacturers actually come out with different uh, maintenance schedules depending on how you drive your car. They usually have a severe uh, maintenance schedule and a normal maintenance schedule. Um, so consult, you know, the manufacturer's recommendations. Um, you know, th this is all for people that just really want to keep their car in tip-top shape. They... You know, doing all these things um, is obviously 
good for the car for our, I feel like obvious reasons. Um, you know, you can definitely skip some of these sort of maintenance items, especially with newer fluid technologies and um, different types of transmissions, take different types of fluids. Uh, so um, I think really just having the condition checked versus just going by the book, what it says on the, in your owner's manual um, is the way to go. Uh, you know, you can, you know, flush your transmission fluid at 60,000 miles, but the transmission fluid could technically still be good for another 20,000 miles or even more. Uh, there is some material buildup in transmissions and differentials and engines, which you do want to get out of there eventually. But if you're on a budget, am I going to flush my transmission and, you know, replace the spark plugs or am I going to buy new ski boots? I'm probably going to buy new ski boots. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let me ask you some of the things. Let me think, let me channel the audience here. Okay. Um, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Top three things that the average either, you know, dealership service department or corporatized repair shop is going to try to sell you that you shouldn't say yes to. I mean, really just getting upsold on services before they're actually due. Um, you know, you always hear those horror stories where, you know, they, you know, they told you you needed your transmission fluid flushed at this new place when you just had it done at, you know, your other garage. That happens a lot, actually. And people just, you know, you know, cars are usually on the back of their mind, especially exactly what time they've done their maintenance. So um, just being mindful of what um, you've done to your car recently, uh, it's kind of a hard question to answer. Because, you know, an upfront mechanic, you know, you should be able to trust. Um, okay, would... well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm getting more oil changed to Jivy Lube, and they asked me what I want to do about my air filter. YouTube it, because you can change it yourself. <laughs> uh, well, what, actually... what I've done recently, what I've done recently is I just tell them to, like, clean it, put it back in, and they do that. Is that yeah, a good yeah. thing? No, oh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, especially, actually, like mice and rodents like to get up in the air filters. Um, that's just like the easiest place for them to go. So they're so store, store their acorn shells or they'll build a mouse nest up in there. And really, you could just vacuum it out and kind of tamp out the air filter and stick it back in. But um, you know, over time, it's going to, the particulate, uh, filtration is going to get bigger. So you're, you are going to let in, um, you know, bigger particulates, air particulates into your engine. Um, if you don't change it with a new one every now and again, um, you know, usually hold like, on, hold on, define now and again. Okay. If, if I'm doing, uh, oil changes every four to five, 6,000 miles, because back in the day, they used to say, so how come that's moved from 3,000 to 6,000? Before I get to my next question, why has oil changes moved from 3,000 to 6,000? Was that always bullshit or did something change? So uh, oil qu oh, quality changed. Okay. Um, so like synthetic from conventional oil, uh, you know, synthetic oil goes a lot longer. And actually, a lot of manufacturers are going even longer on their synthetic oils just because... Um, they're so good at not the oil is so good at not breaking down that there's really not as much of a need to change it as often as you used to. 
Okay, so then then the air filter question then is like every other oil change, like ten thousand miles. What's like a rule nah, of thumb with an way, air filter? Way way too much right there. Um, you know, I would check it once a year, but really, when you get your oil changed, they should be checking it every time. Um, and they I, always you know, try to sell me an air filter every time. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's what you're going to get at a Jiffy Lube. That's why it's good to you know get a relationship with uh, a local person um, that's you know has a good reputation um, and you know has been in the industry for a while. Is at those kind of places, you're not going to get uh, you know upsold an engine air filter or something like that every time. Where are but, you turning the wrench right now? Uh, right now I work at, uh, Brian's North end auto. Um, really nice. Uh, it's a, I would say it's a small to mid sized garage, you know, six bays, six techs. He's actually got another shop too up in Colchester, but it's right in the old North end of Burlington and it's just uh, really community based. Um, it's a, you know, it's a really awesome vibe there. Nice. All right. So I have one additional question that comes from my neighbor. He had a recent experience. He backed his maybe 07 Outback into a thing and smashed basically one rear taillight and part of the paneling around his bumper in that area. And But because the car has 150 some odd thousand miles on it and it's old, um, his insurance was like, well, it's totaled. <laughs> um it was just it was going to cost because they do their numbers on what it would cost to to fix it completely with like new parts and everything um and new paneling and whatever else it was gonna be like a four thousand dollar job They're like well that's totaled for that car yeah um and i and, and so he was in this tricky spot of well do i do that you know, get it total, but then I have to like go get a car. I don't want to have to get a new, new car payment, new car, whatever. This car still drives fine. Or do I pay out of pocket to get it fixed good enough, but then get nothing out of insurance? So my, my take was that he should, you know, work with some, with a salvage, whatever, to, to fix the taillight, make it legal and make the paneling just good enough with like used parts, whatever. It's an old car anyway. And somehow get insurance to, cover some of that but but his take was that it was just it was all or nothing with insurance four thousand dollars or nothing how do you convince insurance to write you a twelve hundred dollar check to make a car good enough instead of zero or four thousand yeah you are barking up a tree that i didn't know existed but no i uh you know what I mean, there's, though, right? There's no, yeah, for sure. No, there's honestly nothing you can do. I, insurances have the power. I mean, I would tell your neighbor there to just do what you said, fix the taillight. And as long as the paint's not super damaged, um, you know, because if the paint's damaged, it could rust, uh, you know, just deal with it as it is. And you can find somebody to f probably fix it good enough. Like, you can... So the thing with rear, like especially quarter panel damage, um, is it's all part of the body. There's not like the front fenders come off of a car, but the rear fenders don't come off of a car. So you kind of have to get up. You'd have to find a body person to get up in there and like pull the dents out or push the dents out from the inside. Um, that'd be the, you know, probably the... Well, that that's cheapest. what he did. So he spent some money in between zero and 4,000 to get it good enough. Yeah. I'm just amazed that insurance 
won't meet you in the middle and on a really old car because otherwise yeah. they got to write you a four thousand dollar check to total it which yeah seems not fun for them but i don't know it was it was a bummer to see because it was kind of caught in the middle of those two opposites yeah yeah i mean you're kind of at the mercy of however the insurance handles those kind of things unfortunately yep. you, you you pay for something you don't really get a say into <laughs> yeah a lot of the time Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, we worked through all of these questions and a um, couple extra there. And what's the most popular car that nobody should ever buy? Uh, a Pontiac Vibe. Those aren't even for sale anymore. <laughs> you can still get them, man. They're the worst <laughs> cars. They're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. I hope you get some snow, man. Thanks for helping us with Car Talk number uh, oh, 87. Man. Yeah, but I, I appreciate it, and um, I will, you know, stay jealous of your foothill skiing. All right. Well, if you ever get out here to Colorado, it'll yeah, be very be. easy because it's all very close to Denver, and, you know, right off the airport, come say hi. You betcha, bud. All right, Paul. Thank you. And it's fact time. You can buy Polar Seltzer at some of the Safeways in Colorado. That's it. That's the fact. Theme music by Adam Levy. Toss me those five-star Apple Podcast ratings if you want to show that you care. You'll just be one day older when you do. Email me, alex at wintrymixcast.com if you want to make a pitch or have an idea. Follow on Instagram at wintrymixcast or find the show on Facebook or Twitter. There's also a COVID versus ski business group that I admin with over 500 not insane people sharing their informed perspectives as we proceed. You want some stickers? Hit me up on Instagram and I'll send you some. And the voicemail? It made this episode possible. Thanks to everyone who chimed in. 802-560-5003. Stick around for After the Beep. Goodbye. I'm, uh, I'm one weekend on that guy. Yeah. Seven days yeah, see, of playing guitar. Uh, yeah, I've seen you. Uh, I've seen your your post about that, man. Well, no, no, I'm 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 better now. Already two days later, I'm just my fingers are shot though. Yeah, yeah, that those uh, strings really get you. I, I play the ukulele, and they got nice like soft strings, and I oh, like yeah, a lot yeah. more. <laughs> I got a my daughter's got one of those. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna close this off. I'm gonna start editing. I'm gonna bug you later, and thank you very much, Mr. Paul. Hell yeah, dog! Anytime. I hope. I uh, hope it all uh, turns out good. Appreciate it. Hell yeah, bud. See you later. See ya. G E D A. Fucking super hard C. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got the C.
Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? 